Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Alex Mozinski, and I'm joined by a new co-host today, Annie, who we just interviewed, actually, so lots of practice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> really enjoying this, hitting the ground running, so yeah. it's all good. Getting used to the airtime. Yeah, yeah. So uh, glad to have you on board. Thank, Thank you. you for joining me and, Thank and you. co-hosting together. Um, and we're joined by Renita Menocha. She is a, a chief resident right now, I believe, in um, the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you're also currently doing graduate studies right now in is it medical biophysics. That's exactly right. Yes, yeah, so I'm actually a resident, as you mentioned, a medical resident in my fourth year here at Western and also pursuing a concurrent degree in uh, Master's of Science in Medical Biophysics. And in order to do this, I'm part of a specialized training program called the Clinical Investigator Program here at Western. And so that kind of gives me some extra time and extra funding to be able to do all of these things all together. That sounds like quite a lot of work. It's a lot Uh, of fun, actually. But uh, it must be a lot of fun as well. Yeah. Um, so I do have a, a quick question so you can clarify this for us. As we were, as we were saying before the episode, um, physical medicine and rehabilitation. So that's not physiotherapy. That is not physiotherapy. It, it is an MD. Yes. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that before we get into your research? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm biased, but I think it's one of the greatest fields in medicine. So it's a small field. A lot of doctors don't know too much about it. But essentially, we work with people who've had disabilities Um, or other injuries, illnesses that have resulted in loss of independence or function, quality of life. And our goal as rehab doctors is to use our medical knowledge and work with social workers, nurses, physiotherapists, occupational therapists to help people sort of function better, live independently, and meet sort of their own personal goals, whether that's psychological goals, social goals, functional goals, physical goals. So the main kinds of patients that we would work with would be people who've had strokes, amputations, spinal cord injuries, brain injuries, um, children with cerebral palsy or muscular dystrophy, even people who've had workplace accidents, um, musculoskeletal accidents, um, sports injuries. So it's a very broad, broad field, um, but I love it mostly because I love working with people and it's a field where you really have a chance to see people get better over over a long term. So, yeah. Well, that sounds amazing. Um, and, and you're also, though, doing your master's in medical biophysics right now concurrently. Mm-hmm. So how, how did you, why did you decide to do this and, and, you know, get into a concurrent program? Yeah. Um, so a huge part of it for me was personal interest. So I started my undergrad here at Western in medical biophysics and absolutely fell in love with biomechanics and, um, while I was here enjoying all that stuff, also realized that I loved working with people and so kind of made the decision then to go into medical school. Loved being a doctor, but while I was in med school, I started realizing that I was really missing that critical thinking piece um, and sort of that problem-solving piece that I loved a lot about biophysics and started doing some research while I was in med school. So I did medical school in Vancouver and started doing some crutch biomechanics work and um, realized, you know what, I think I'd like to combine my medical knowledge with some 
exposure to more basic science research. And so uh, when I was looking for where to do my residency, I was attracted to come back here and work with some people that I'd worked with in my undergrad um, to do a little bit more work in that area. And it's been really rewarding, actually. I think having that medical knowledge now and bringing it back um, and bringing what I've learned in the lab back to the patients that I see, I think it's really helped me become a better doctor as well as a better researcher. So That's great. Mm-hmm. So what is the focus of your research? Mm-hmm. So I study the elbow, uh, which is a funny bone, but <laughs> a good joint. Um, so... I look at different elbow injuries and how we should rehabilitate them. So in particular, I'm looking at the lateral collateral ligament, which is a ligament on the outside of the elbow um, that can commonly get injured. And I look at different factors that we... Just to clarify yeah. for, for what's the outside of the elbow? The outside is it, is, of the is elbow. my palm is facing up or facing down? Is it- away from me toward me. Where's the outside exactly? That's an excellent question. It's going to be interesting to explain on the radio, but yeah. if you can imagine that you are standing still with your palms facing forward, um, your lateral collateral ligament would be on the side that is furthest from your body. Okay, so that's the, okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry to interrupt. No, that's okay. So in my research, I look at, um, I use cadavers and I look at different things that we would do in rehabilitation to see how that affects the stability of um, an elbow that's had that sort of an injury. Um, So some of the factors that I look at are things like your arm position. So should you do exercises with your arm at the side? Like imagine if you were doing a bicep curl or should you do exercises with your arm over your head? Um, I look at things like forearm rotation, meaning should you do exercises with your palm facing up or your palm facing down? Should you use a brace or is a brace going to be harmful? So those are the kinds of uh, questions we like to answer. And I think it's really important in my field, um, unlike some parts of medicine like cardiology, where drugs have been extensively studied in animals and humans and gone through multi-center randomized controlled trials. And we know the evidence, you know, if you have high cholesterol, you should be put on a statin. In rehabilitation, we do a lot of things with patients and we don't really have a lot of evidence as to why we're telling someone to do this exercise or, you know, is this going to be harmful? So I think it's important to establish in my field that that research base for doing things. So so, so, so from a lead person's perspective, for sure. uh, relative to the other joints in the body, how much work or how much stress does the elbow get, you know, compared to, say, our knees or our neck? Absolutely. So, um The upper extremity joints in general normally don't get as much stress or force through them as your lower extremity joints because we're walking around a lot, putting a lot of our body weight through our knees and our hips and our ankles. Mm. But um, our elbows are much more prone to being unstable because we need to have that extra range of motion to use our arms to do things like get in funny positions so we can brush our hair, reach behind our back to do up a zipper or something like that. Okay. Um, And so that's important. And for me in rehabilitation, I have a lot of patients who can't use their lower extremities because they've had a spinal cord injury or an amputation. So they're weight bearing a lot more through their arms, through their wheelchairs, through their crutches. And so it's important to know a little bit about what happens to an elbow when it's undergoing sort of greater than normal stress. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. So, wh- what types of activities put people at highest risk of particular types of, of elbow injuries that you're looking at? Yeah. So, the lateral elbow in particular tends to get injured in um, 
most commonly a traumatic situation. Um, and so either getting what's called subluxation, where the bones of the elbow joint aren't completely in line, or fully dislocating, where the bones are completely not in contact with each other. And those sort of injuries usually happen when you fall onto an outstretched hand, but could also happen when you get similar kinds of forces from a sports injury or motor vehicle accident. But actually, the second most common way that you get an acute injury of that ligament is because someone's broken a bone in their arm and the surgeon needs to cut that ligament to access that broken bone. And so they either cut it and don't repair it or they cut it and repair it, but now it's weakened. Um, So that's the second most common way for an acute injury. Now, there's also chronic injuries to this ligament, and those can happen if someone's been using crutches for a long period of time, that sort of repetitive micro strain over time on that ligament can cause it to weaken. Okay. You can get something called posterior lateral rotatory instability, but that's basically just meaning that when you put stress on that ligament, your elbow sort of, or your form sort of abnormally rotates when it shouldn't. And another common way that that can happen is if you have something called tennis elbow, which you might've heard about before, one of the treatments that is steroid. And if you put steroid into a ligamentous area, a loss that can damage the connective tissue. And so it can cause over time weakening or degeneration of that ligament. There's way more ways to injure your elbow than <laughs> I, I, know. Than I ha- just occurred to me when I was asking the question. I totally thought you were just going to say, athletes hurt their <laughs> elbows all the time. They, they fall, do. they get hurt, you know, tennis players, squash players, football players, but wow. So that's a, that's a great point uh, Alex brings up because speaking of sports, your elbow did something famous sometime back, right? You were wearing the <laughs> torch. So tell us, tell us about that experience. <laughs> that was an impressive connection. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, kudos to that. That is true. Um, back when Canada hosted the Olympic Winter Games in 2010, I was actually a torchbearer for the Games, and it was an amazing experience. So I carried the torch um, with some other colleagues who were active in promoting sport, and that's why we were all nominated. Okay. Um, through Midland, Ontario in December, okay. um, wow. where it was incredibly <laughs> cold and snowy, but I right. was very impressed at the number of people that came out and people who had seen the torch go by for the Calgary Relay, actually. And so there was a lot of people who had some really amazing stories stories to share, but it was really just such a positive experience and so much fun for me to share that experience at the time with a lot of kids who were inspired from that. And since then, to continue sharing that with people in the community and get to hear their stories about how the Olympics have, you know, inspired them to do a variety of different things. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I've actually started teaching myself Olympic weightlifting. Really? From some time. And I keep, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always told to watch my form yes. really properly. And, you know, elbows seem to be pretty important in, in those aspects. I know. Because, uh, you know, you're hauling weights and flying them above your head so yeah. i will be careful and i now i know where you where you're a doctor so that should be useful hopefully i don't see you in that context but <laughs> the elbow is important the and proper is important. form is always important yeah that's absolutely. my doctorly advice so the research that you're doing is is on i guess the biomechanics of this this particular ligament injury mm-hmm. um how are you studying so you're looking at cadavers you said so what exactly are you doing with these limbs? Yeah, so we take a full sort of upper extremity cadaver from a human that is um, kindly chosen to donate their body to science. And we actually have a special 
um, custom elbow motion simulator in our laboratory, which is at the hand and upper limb bioengineering center here. And so to kind of describe this over the radio, what I do is I would take the specimen, dissect out certain tendons and connect those tendons using steel cables to different motors and actuators. And we have software that programs these motors and actuators to move the elbow in, in a sort of physiologic fashion. So we can say we want the elbow to flex at five degrees per second or extend at a certain rate. Um, we want the elbow to be pronated or to have the palm face down or supinated to have the palm face up. So that's what we do. And then in order to sort of look at our outcome, what we're measuring is stability at the elbow. And so to measure that, we use a system that measures motion using um, electromagnetic tracking. And so it's a device that'll send out radio frequency pulses and measure that. And that can tell us sort of the X, Y, Z position, yaw pitch roll sort of rotation uh, information about what's going on at the joint. Wow, that sounds really high tech. <laughs> Very different from what I do. <laughs> uh, uh, so you, you you were mentioning, you know, you, you're also, uh, you know, working on medical biophysics, right? And I find this interesting because um, you're a biologist, right? So you're dealing with, um, you know, you know, anatomy and something, for the lack of a better word, you know, life, which is free-flowing, which doesn't have boundaries. Mm -hmm. But you're also trying to describe that with very fixed mathematical languages right absolutely and you know which is which is physics right so do you find uh, you know the rigid rules of physics and you know you're de dealing with the rigid rules of physics to describe something that has no shape or form which is you know life itself right how do you how do you um is that a challenging experience for you yeah i think that's why i love biophysics I started out in physics and then switched into biophysics because I think it's really neat how um, we have these amazing systems that have been designed by whatever higher power in in the world all around us. And we can kind of take what's happening naturally and kind of make some assumptions and create models and then use those models to better understand what's going on in the natural system. It's it's pretty, pretty fun, pretty amazing. Okay. Yeah. So, so once you've you've taken, you know, all these numbers down, I guess, and yeah. seen what types of orientation or position is going to stress out the joint the most under different circumstances, um, how how would that affect the healing process? I guess because you are looking at cadavers. So, what would this do in in a living arm? Yeah. So, um, just to preface, I guess the cadavers that we use are what's called fresh frozen, and so that means as soon as someone's passed away, obviously they've decided in advance to donate their body to science, um, the specimen is frozen. And we do that because that most closely mimics the natural mechanical properties of the tissue. So cadavers that we're studying should be mimicking sort of physiologically what's going on. Um, and so this is helpful in terms of we can study different aspects of rehabilitation and come up with the optimal positioning, let's say, is the factor that we're looking at. Um, sorry, I forgot your question. <laughs> well, what does yes. this mean for possibly the healing process? Okay. Um, um, I think it just helps us understand what positions are more prone to cause injury and what positions are most stable. So, for example, my work 
Um, we discovered that doing exercises with the arm overhead is the most safe position for doing exercises. And that's probably because the weight of your arm can um, assist gravity in compressing your elbow joint. And if you compress a joint, it's much less likely to have movement in the joint. And so that's important because the elbow, when it gets injured, is really prone to something called flexion contracture. So when you injure a ligament, you want to prevent any further movement of that ligament. But if you do that too much, then the elbow is going to get stuck in a certain position. And that's a bad thing because if your elbow is stuck in a certain position, you can't bend it further to brush your teeth or brush your hair. Um, that's not a good thing. So if you're able to know that this overhead position is safe, that means you can start doing rehab in that position, making sure you maintain the range of motion in that joint and knowing that that's not going to risk further injury to the joint. So have your results so far uncovered any um, commonly used exercises that are actually dangerous? Yeah. Um, so I think that a lot of therapists clinically have started doing these exercises overhead because we think that it's helpful, but no one's ever proven it. So I think that this work is helpful in saying instead of doing, for example, like I was saying earlier, the bicep curl type exercises, um, we know that it's probably more safe to do them overhead. Um, another thing that we found is a lot of therapists know that you shouldn't brace the arm out to the side, like in the position you would have to brush your hair, or brush your teeth. That's called the varus position. Not all therapists know that. So people probably still get braced or are not told to avoid that position. And so our research really gives a biomechanical basis now for saying you really should not be putting your arm in this position a few weeks after you've injured that ligament. So that's interesting. So yeah. speaking of, uh, you know, what your, your own research and what physiotherapists do how do you how effective is the is is the way you relay your research to to practicing physiotherapists right? yeah. because it's important for them to know the do's and don'ts right so how do you ensure that what's being done in the clinic and yeah. research is being relayed to it's a great people? question I think that's something that a lot of people who do science um, basic science in health related fields yeah. struggle with oh, and yeah. so um, a lot of people have said, you know, that knowledge translation process can take up to 10 years from having a published basic science study to actually changing clinical practice. But I think I'm at an advantage in that I work with therapists every day. And so okay. now that I'm doing this stuff in the lab, I can say this is what I found. What do you think about this? Yeah. Take what they're doing in their clinical practice back to, OK, can we study this further in the lab? I think it's important for anyone in grad school to look for opportunities like GradCast and other um, facilities or avenues to disseminate your research to non-scientists and yeah, to people yeah. actually who could benefit from your work. Um, so it's a challenge, but I think I'm particularly lucky that I'm in a field where we work with therapists a lot. And so having that basic science um, experience can be helpful both ways. Okay. Yeah. I guess beyond just that, though, uh, something I was wondering, mm -hmm. how long does it take to get the, the clinical practice actual guidelines changed? So not, not only to, I guess, educate the therapists, but like to change worldwide practice parameters. Like what's that? Yeah, I like? think part of it, too, is making sure that as a graduate student, you get your publications out so that when people come together to make consensus statements or different groups come together to make their guidelines, they have that 
published research to go back to. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying earlier, in my field in particular, there's not a lot of places yet where you can go to get evidence-based guidelines. So um, I think that's the ultimate goal of a lot of this work. And hopefully over time in my field, there'll be a little bit more of an evidence base. But um, yeah, that's kind of the state right now. Um, I guess we only have time for a couple more questions, but what, what would your main goal be, I guess, as a, as a physician scientist moving forward once you're done your residency? What, what, what are your plans? Like personally or In terms of, I guess, your career. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's an excellent question. Um, I think my overall research goal was to help improve the lives of people with disabilities Um, And so somehow using biomechanics to do that. So I'm particularly interested in things like exercises, bracing, um, crutches, gait aids, things that we prescribe to patients and don't have a lot of knowledge about how that affects biomechanics and potentially can be harmful. Um, Clinically, I struggle because I like everything, but there is a field of medicine in my field called um, prosthetics and orthotics. So you work with people who've had amputations and do a lot around prescribing braces with people for various reasons. And so I can see myself working in that field. And I've also personally played wheelchair basketball and like working with athletes with disabilities. And so seeing if I can somehow have a future in that. And when you work with athletes with disabilities, there's also like this whole equipment to athlete interface and understanding how we can improve sports equipment to help the athlete. So, yeah, we'll see how it all pans out. (laughs) That's amazing. We can expect great things from you. Thank you so much for coming on to GradCast. Another great interview. Um, If you want to come on again, let us know. Thanks. Thank you very much. That's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share it with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through GradCast Radio. You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time.